Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, Zach Osmond here, IO Insider, Indianapolis Star. I got through that really fast. Sorry. Um, <laughs> felt like I turned all that into one word. Dustin DePirac, across from me, also IU Insider, Bloomington Herald Times. Uh, it is March 8th, 2022, which means, Dustin, it is the business end here. Um, Indiana's staring down the barrel of it. I don't know what other metaphors I can use, but Indiana needs wins. They certainly need to win Thursday against Michigan in the Big Ten tournament. They might also need to win Friday in this scenario of Illinois they'd face. Um, And the first thing I want to get your thoughts in a minute on kind of, I know you did a story talking to some, some bracket people about just kind of where IU fits and things like that. But the, the first thing that strikes me is the last weekend of the big 10 regular season probably could not have been harder on Indiana. Um, they lost right. a game that, you know, to the surprise of, I think a lot of us was actually there to be one at Purdue, uh, Michigan upset Ohio state on the road, which meant that, and, and just the way that things moved around, uh, Michigan also Michigan state also won, uh, meaning Michigan's the eighth seed. I think that's probably the worst possible matchup Indiana could hope for there. Mm-hmm. And instead of getting a Wisconsin team that you've played close, really close twice, uh, at one point looked like running out of their own building and a Wisconsin team that may or may not have a full strength Johnny Davis available on Friday. You now get a really tough matchup, maybe the second worst matchup in the Big Ten for Indiana and Illinois. Um, I mean, that's a they got dealt a tough hand. If they get there, if they do, if Indiana does what needs to be done here, they're going to have earned it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, these are the two teams that I, I think gave them the two worst losses uh, that they faced all season. In terms of uh, in terms of margin, I mean, in, in most other games, they'd at least played them close. I think Michigan State, they got beat by 15 and they really, really did not seem to have gotten off of the mat um, after the Northwestern suspensions in time for the Michigan State game. So that was another one where they weren't all themselves. And they're arguing, you know, basically not arguing, but. Um, you know, basically when Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson talked to us today, they said, you know, we, we still didn't feel like uh, we were ourselves against Michigan because we had gotten too high off of the uh, win over uh, win over Purdue in January. And, and, you know, that's just not who we are. But all the same, like you said, I mean, there, there was there's a reason why they got blown up by that much. And it's because it's a difficult matchup. It's it's a in, in both cases, it's a team with a bigger, bigger than they have, uh, at least by a little in 100, 100 uh, Dickinson and then in uh, Kofi Coburn and then multiple shooters uh, that can really spread them out. But they're really putting at least three guys on the floor uh, in their starting lineup that can really beat you from deep. Um, and so I, that's really just a, a big explains a lot of, of the situation that they're in. They really got scrambled against Michigan. They really got scrambled against Illinois. And, and so that that's two of the, the only teams I think that you can't see a, um, silver line to playing them for Indiana in terms of past, um, you know, past, uh, performance basically there's there's just not much good to take from either the illinois loss uh or the or the uh michigan loss for indiana they were just thoroughly beaten in each of those games and that's the two teams they have to beat you know it's probably like overcoming like what like a 30 
34, 35% uh, point differential in the, in the regular season games to have to win two of these to get in. Let's just talk about Michigan primarily. Um, I mean, just in the sense they can't play Illinois unless they get through Michigan. Um, The the one time these two teams met this season, Indiana fans will remember it well, an 80 to 62 loss uh, in Bloomington. Um, Michigan led pretty commandingly for most of that. You know, I mean, they they outscored Indiana 21 to nine in the first 10 minutes. Um, Indiana was only down five at halftime, but, it just kind of kept stretching or maybe, maybe I'm no, excuse me. Indiana was only down seven at halftime, but it felt like more Michigan hit 11 of 17 threes that day. Also 18 of 34 twos. Indiana actually forced 14 turnovers in that game and pretty mm-hmm. much played Michigan all but even at the free throw line and, and still lost mm-hmm. um, only minus two on free throw makes only minus one on free throw attempts. And, and again, with all those turnovers still um, never really close in that game. Um, Hunter Dickinson was the star that day at 25 points, nine rebounds. He hit three threes, uh, and he was nine of 12 overall from the field. But Caleb Houston had 19 in what was probably one of the best games of his college career to that point. Uh, Terrence Williams gave Michigan 10 off the bench. Musa Diabate had 10. I'm bringing those names up because that size difference is, is just feels like a lot of what's going to be a problem for Indiana. Um, you know, this is a Michigan team that is not maybe necessarily as offensively efficient as the ones we have kind of come to know sort of post uh, John Beeline. Um, but even during Beeline. Yeah. In, in, in the, well, excuse me. Let, let, sorry. Let me say during and post John Beeline. That was what I was trying to say. It's still right. very good. They average about 1.1 points per possession in Big Ten play, but they shoot a little under 34 percent from three. I think that's maybe the one really big departure. The flip side is they're really good on the offensive glass. They're really good on twos and they're fantastic at free throws. They hit they hit in Big Ten play alone. Seventy seven point six percent of the free throws. You've got Dickinson, who can shoot 31.5% on threes. Eli Brooks shoots almost 39%. Caleb Houston, 36.6%. Even guys like Brandon Johns, who I think are more traditional kind of backup big, still 32.3%. You know, if you're Indiana, and and if we presume Michigan rolls out the same starting lineup that they did uh, in their uh, their win at Ohio State on the last day of the season, which is Eli Brooks, Devontae Jones, Caleb Houston, Musa Diabate, Brandon Johns. I think everyone expects uh, Hunter Dickinson to be back because I think he had what well, I think he had a non-COVID illness. It was so, a stomach ailment, was the okay, word. Yeah, was, so I think yeah. we all know what that means. We've all been there. Um, yep. You know, if they, if they roll out Brooks, Jones, Houston, Diabate, and D- Dickinson, how does Indiana cover? I mean, that that's you know, that's that's Miller Cop on Caleb Houston. That's presumably Trace Jackson Davis on, on Hunter Dickinson. That's Race Thompson on Musa Diabate. I mean, basically, even if Trace Jackson Davis plays well in in most scenarios, probably the best he can do is just kind of play Hunter Dickinson to a draw, more or less. Yeah. And Dickinson's given mm-hmm. him trouble in the past. Mm-hmm. But the bigger problem, we've talked about this so much, is big-bodied wings hurt this team. Big-bodied wings that can slash and shoot hurt this mm-hmm. team. That is the one thing they have not been able to solve this year. It's the one thing that maybe they don't really have the personnel to solve. Certainly not if, if Trey Galloway is not healthy enough to play, though Mike Woodson pointed out today that he played in the game in, in Bloomington and they still lost by 18. Um, but you just, I mean, if you're Indiana, I just, I don't know how you manage those matchups. Yeah, no, it's going to be hard. I mean, and I think just, you know, again, the, the bigger thing that really burned them the first time, it's not so much, 
that any one individual guy did. Um, you know, where we've seen in the past where like a Johnny Davis gives him a problem, a, a Jaden Ivey gives him a problem, although Stewart did a pretty good job on Jaden Ivey the other day. It, you know, it's not beating you one-to-one. I mean, that's not really how Michigan burned them. It's just creating movement, um, you know, basically just this, this moving the ball. Um, it's, it's a combination of scrambling. spacing and the fact that Indiana's perimeter pressure doesn't work when it's those big bodies. Like, because those guys can shoot, they can space you, but Indiana can't kind of most directly counteract what Indiana does to directly counteract floor space. And what even worked for a little bit against Illinois, not a little bit, for about 32 minutes against Illinois, was that Indiana could pressure the perimeter. But Indiana doesn't – Indiana can't pressure Caleb Houston with Rob Finnessy. You know, that that's not pressure. And that's – you know, and that's, that's, that's what's difficult. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and that's, again, you know uh, – as you mentioned, they still got blown up with Galloway on the floor, um, but you know it's it's still a significant loss having a long armed guy um, that can get out there and and can defend on the perimeter. Um, you know, now one thing I think you have is is, is you can shift a Rob Finnessy onto an Eli Brooks, which I think makes a difference because um, I think Brooks really gave um, Parker Stewart trouble. I mean, like literally ran him in circles a couple of times, like just literally ran around him. Um, and so that makes things a little bit better. And Brooks was really able to, you know, cause him problems in those games. But um, yeah, I mean, you just, you just don't love the matchup with a Caleb, you know, with Miller cop on a Caleb Houston um, and, you know, uh, Diabate, I think is, is a tough matchup for Thompson where, where I think Thompson has done really well. Uh, Diabate is a tough guy to stop on, on top of that. And, and he'll, you know, Thompson will probably have some kind of Dickinson assignment as well uh, when Jackson Davis comes off and that moves maybe Jordan Geronimo onto that. And you've got the athleticism you, there, but you would you, I mean, is there a world where if you're Mike Woodson, you consider, Race Thompson on Hunter Dickinson, maybe even Jordan Geronimo on Hunter Dickinson, as much maybe to save Trace Jackson Davis having to do that extra work defensively and trying to save his best energy for his offense. I mean, I don't know if the answer is yes, but I'm just maybe. I mean, I think you trust them when you you trust those guys in those positions when you take Jackson Davis off the floor, but I don't know that you – I mean, in that case, you're putting – Jackson Davis on Diabate and how much, I mean, I guess that's better. You know, you have more muscle there. Um, and, you know, I, like Thompson at times can play a little bit tougher on a Dickinson. Um, you know, there, there's times I think he plays with a little more, more muscle than Jackson Davis does. And Jackson Davis plays with a little more athleticism. So I could see that working. I could see you shifting that over. And I think you can trust Thompson on, um, on, on Dickinson when Jackson Davis is off the floor. I don't think that will be a uh, that'll be a constant. They might might throw Michael Durr out on Dickinson for a few minutes. Um, I, I could see him trying to be creative with this, um, but you know, I'm trying to think. I mean, what was the matchup last year? I mean, like how did how did it go down from a numbers perspective? I think Dickinson won, but I don't think it was, it was as drastic as it was this time. Uh, I mean, they played Indiana only played Michigan at home, if I'm not mistaken, and it was never a game. Um, Michigan led by as many as 18. Indiana's largest lead was eight to five. Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson had 10 and 11 points combined. They combined for or 10 and 11 points respectively. They combined for 21 points and nine rebounds. Hunter Dickinson had 13 and seven. That game in particular was really more Franz Wagner. Uh, he had 21. He made all five of his twos and eight free throws. Indiana just couldn't 
couldn't slow. I mean, it's it's kind of a similar sort of discussion in the sense that you had, you know, it, it wasn't Caleb Houston, but it was Franz Wagner who what goes on to he was in, he was picked in the lottery, wasn't he, or maybe just after the lottery. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, a, a six nine slashing forward that's a threat to hit the three. He only hit one in that game, but he shot 34% last season. He shot 40.6% in conference play. So you had to guard him like he was going to hit threes. And Indiana, therefore, that with that ball pressure, just could not stay in front of him. And Livers also had 16. So really, it was it was much more about basically Indiana being unable to control those wings than it was maybe about kind of the, the post. Now, the flip side is Dickinson's a different player this year. He only took four threes last season and he missed all four of them. Um, he is shooting, he is 17 of 54 from three this year, which is 31 and a half percent. That's roughly two a game because he played, he played, he appeared in 28 games this year. Um, and he's obviously not hitting, I mean, he's hitting maybe about half a three a game. And there was, to be fair, and I, I remember thinking this at the time, I think I even said it on one of our podcasts that there was an element of that IU game where Dickinson, I think, made maybe sort of a, a, a low percentage three was his first attempt of the game, and it went in. And it sort of felt like one of those shots where if it hadn't gone in, then he probably – maybe he doesn't take another three the rest of the night, but because he saw that one go in, he got the confidence to find the flow and whatever else. Um, but really, uh, uh, much more – and we can go back and I can find you times that – Mo Wagner's hurt Indiana, you know, Livers again has hurt Indiana. Really for Indiana in recent years, it's been the fact that the Hoosiers just have not had players that can effectively defend the wings um, against volume, at least potential volume scores, not always volume scores, um, but potential volume scores, guys that have the ability to go for, you know, 15, 18 in a given night. Um, Indiana's just not been able to corral those players. And then when you mix in the fact that now you have this all Big Ten forward, all Big Ten center that can step away from the basket, it just complicates that defense even more. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I don't – I think you look at this group of Michigan wings, I mean, I, I think, you know, Wagner and Livers were better individual players um, than anybody that they have right now. And, I, and Michigan, I think, has had some really, really good wings in the past. And you look at Jordan Poole, you go – I mean, you obviously go back to the – neck. The Nick Stauskas and the Tim Hardaway Juniors and those guys, if you really want to really dig deep. Um, but, you know, Michigan's put some really good two and three guards out there. Uh, you know, this group as it is, um, isn't quite as dynamic, I don't think. Um, you know, I, I think Diabate is terrific. Um, but I don't think, um, you know, Houston right now, I think Caleb Houston is going to be really good. You know, he's not quite as, as special as you thought he was going to be as a freshman, but he's, he's got a chance, I think, still to be. Um, they don't cook you in the same way, but it's just, again, just the collective group of them. I mean, there's still just, there's just a lot of, uh, there's a good bit of talent basically um, at, at every, you know, you have a star at the five and you have good positions. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you have a good, good, good guys at the rest of the positions, basically. So I, I think it's a, um, it, 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 like I said, it, it makes for tough cover. And, and, and I guess what, I, what I'm saying is I don't know if there's any one Michigan player that they can't guard individually. It's just the full collection of them um, that is the problem. It just keeps you scrambled. And, and it's like they're going to find a mismatch uh, in Indiana's group where, like, you know, even when you have Galloway, that helps. 
And if you've got like a real star, like a Davis or, or, a, or a Ivy, he, he can get in on those guys um, and cause them a problem. But it's like, when you've got a whole slew of them, you know, at some point you've got a mismatch at some point you're putting Stewart or cop on those guys. Um, and you know, that, that's, that runs into some issues. And when you take those guys off the floor, it doesn't get, you know, you, you don't get a whole lot better. I mean, Rob Finnessy, I think is better on Eli Brooks, but he only does so much more if, if, if he has to play a Caleb Houston or somebody else, a bigger guard. Um, so again, it's just the total collection. And so like when they're all hitting and that's, that's why I think like this Michigan team, why I think they were predicted to pick to finish so high. I mean, you know, the, us, the big 10 media pick them as sort of a co-favorite with Purdue. Um, and it's just, again, the, the total collection of talent is an issue. And when they get going, you see it, you know, you saw it against Indiana. You also saw it against, uh, Purdue when they blew them out. When they're shooting, I, I mean, when they're shooting, they're as tough of a beat, like a, a tough of a team to beat as there is in the Big Ten. Um, and yeah, I mean, this, this is a game where like you need, you need those shots not to go in. Like you, you need if you're Indiana. There's also there, there is an element to this that is just you need a couple guys to have a bad day um, because there's too many guys. I mean, you're right in the sense that they're not as experienced as they've been in the past, maybe not as consistent as they've been in the past. But when you have Diabate, when you have Houston, when you have Terrence Williams, you know, and when you've got, frankly, a, a, a player in Devontae Jones who's just gotten better and better as the season's gone on, you know, he had 21 points and nine assists against uh, Ohio State. He had 25 points and 10 assists in the loss at, uh, at home to Illinois a couple weeks ago. You just – you need a couple guys to just not be feeling it that night. I think if there's one thing that – if there's something that works in Indiana's favor here, um, number one, and I've said this at other times before, uh, you know, in other seasons, but other teams, there's sometimes this value in, in kind of getting a team that's pounded you once. If you've had enough time to really evaluate what happened, because you, you really did, like you got a very raw look at basically Indiana will look back at that tape. We talked to Mike Woodson about how, you know, the tape, looking back at the tape of that game, and he said it was a tough watch. But Indiana will look back at that tape, and they will effectively be able to say, this is what it looks like when everything goes well for Michigan and nothing we do works. And so then you're kind of presented with the extremes of this is them at their best, this is us at our worst. And that was probably something roughly approximating Michigan at its best this year. And that's as bad as Indiana has been defensively all season. I mean, like literally in terms of, in terms of defense, Indiana has not allowed a more efficient defensive performance to an opponent yet this season. Um, Indiana has not, I don't believe allowed more, I guess they had one game, Minnesota hit all those threes late. And then you also had Syracuse that hit, that got an overtime to hit some two overtime to hit some extra threes. Other than that, 11 threes is the most Indiana's given up in a game. Michigan's one of two or three teams that's done it. Um, it's basically like sort of Indiana looking at it and saying, okay, that was as bad as it could possibly go, but that gives you a pretty raw look at how you need to get better and potentially how you can get better. And the other thing about this that I think Indiana does, and I, I will stand by this. I said it when it happened and I'll stand by it now that I think Indiana does deserve a little bit of, benefit of the doubt for is that game was horribly timed. There was no way Indiana was going to be able to come down off the emotional high of beating Purdue on the Thursday night. It was the third game in seven days. It was 
the worst time to be playing what's probably your worst matchup in the Big Ten. And now you have, what, five days to prepare. You should be more rested. You may have Trey Galloway back. Mike Woodson was cagey about that again today, but we didn't, We also didn't have any real – we didn't also didn't get any real uh, notice that Rob Fennessy was going to play until he started playing again. We didn't get any notice Galloway was going to warm up at Purdue until we saw him doing it. These are small comforts in ways, but I think they are. You know, if you're Indiana, you're looking for a way to win this game. You're looking for places to find confidence. I think these are places you can go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think first off, I I do think at this point, I, I don't think Mike is all that uh, in on the training, you know, the athletic trainers report. I, I don't think he's sitting in with Tim Garl all that much when, when it comes to him, it comes to him. And, you know, I don't think he asks for updates. Basically, it shows up when, you know, a, a guy's ready when he's ready and he's not trying to know a whole lot more than he needs to know there. Um, you know, when, when the, if the guy can play, the guy can play. If he can practice, he can practice. That's kind of, I think, what, what Mike Woodson's sort of approach to it is. Uh, he's not looking to get us timelines. He's not looking to tell us a whole bunch of information. Uh, every once in a while, he finds out, he tells us. But, you know, I, I think he, he was just saying not long before Rob Finnessy returned that he could be, a, I, I have no idea when he's going to be back. It could be forever. And, you know, and he's back in a week. And so that's that that's sort of what you come down to. It's it's basically if 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 you ask Mike Woodson, he says he's not, you know, he's not going to play tomorrow. That's that's as far as you can go with that. Um, and you can sort of guess by what you know the injury is. And so, yeah, I mean, based on what we've heard from Mike Woodson and reading the tea leaves we get from Mike, that doesn't mean Trey Galloway can't play. I don't think that means he will. But, you know, it leans not that way. But he could easily, you know, not know and, and find out, uh, you know, Thursday sometime that he's good to go. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, back to your point of them, uh, of it being that stark of a contrast. Uh, no, I think you're totally right. I mean, obviously you, you tack on a bad matchup with a tough time to play them when you're coming off a really big high that they weren't going to be able to come down off from that. Um, they, they at least know, I, I mean, just from talking to them, you can clearly see they have identified what the problem is. Um, you know, they, they can you know clearly tell you what was wrong and what, you know, and, and what needs to be better whether they have the athletic capacity to be that much better is a different question. Um, but they at least know what they have to do. Um, again, executing is a whole different story and you can know exactly what it is you have to do and have no capacity to actually do it. Um, but they are aware that, Hey, this, what, what went wrong, failed to stop Dickinson in the middle, you know, got scrambled on defense, didn't rotate fast enough. Uh, um, just did not do a good job of getting out to shooters, gave, gave up open shots, got burnt. And so that that's sort of the game plan of, of going in knowing that's what you can't do when they are at their best. That is what you can't do. And they are aware of that. Um, so, and, and, you know, obviously they're motivated um, in a much different way than they were the first time they're they're They have nothing to be, you know, uh, no high to be coming off of um, at this point. And they're fully aware that they are uh, playing for their lives. So they, that, that this game isn't going to be even enough, but they desperately, desperately, desperately uh, need to win this one. So it's a totally different mindset. Um, but there is, like you said, there, there's an awareness. They see very, very clear what the problem is and they can they can articulate it to you again knowing what it is articulating it much different than actually executing it and and not getting scrambled but at least there is a knowledge and awareness of what the problem is and that can certainly help let's avoid the whole close games talk i think we've done that to death at this point i mean indiana just has not been able to find away in those close games. Purdue was another one. I thought they played better at Purdue than they had in a while, frankly, maybe even some of their, their recent wins. Um, I also think that if you want to talk about matchups, th- there are ways they match up with Purdue that are actually advantageous to them. And 
can take advantage of some produce some of Purdue's bigger weaknesses. But let's talk about you wrote a story this week, IndyStar.com, HeraldTimesOnline.com, um, about basically just where Indiana stands in the bracket math. And I think everybody, broadly speaking, kind of knows they're on the bubble, probably on the wrong side of it right now. Maybe not as far onto the wrong side of it as, as some fans, some sections of the fan base believe. You know, I think that the fans being who they are, they're going to be more frustrated and more negative than, than reality sometimes. But certainly they go into this week needing at least one win, possibly two. I think you can kind of find split, you know, sort of discussion of that at this point. If anything, I think it may have helped Indiana the way Michigan kind of closed the season because I think it makes the Michigan win, if they can get it, more valuable. Um, but just kind of give us an overview of, you know, just just you talk to two or three people, how outsiders who are not kind of locked in the, the, the extremes of the IU bubble see the Hoosiers resume at this point and what they might need to do this weekend. You know, I'm going to talk to a couple, two guys, basically Shelby Mast and, and Annie Bottoms. Um, uh, Shelby Mast is kind of the USA Today network connect uh, guy, runs bracketwag.com, but he's sort of the official bracketologist from them. And Annie Bottoms is a little bit more local, obviously, is, is kind of part of that whole um, inside the hall crew, the uh, uh, assembly call crew, but also does bracketology that, uh, inside the hall uses, but also um, uh, a kind of media network called the Filter 68. And he's been really, really um, do, done a really good job in terms of predicting um, this and sort of putting it together. And they both said, I mean, Bottom said that he thinks Indiana needs two wins to be safe and, and Mast went so far as to say he thinks they need three. Uh, so, but Bottoms made a point of saying that they're not as bad as I thought when I really kind of looked at this and looked at who else, specifically looked at who else is on, on the bubble. Uh, it's not quite as bad. Um, the, so, I mean, I, and I, and I think he sort of said like, it's possible for them to get in with one win, but, um, and, and that, in that, in that case, it really becomes a moving target. And it really, you start to look at what does everyone else have to do? Uh, and you really need a bunch of things to break. Right. And, you know, so it, it's gotta be a, a lot of teams that are sort of on the cusp that are in a similar position uh, to Indiana losing. So, I mean, I think, Really, the um, as far as just sort of everybody else they're looking at uh, going in, obviously, I think a, a big thing for Indiana was BYU um, going down in the hands of San Francisco in the uh, WCC quarterfinals. I think that that probably takes BYU out of the picture. So that's one team uh, that you can I don't you wouldn't go so far as to say you, you could cross off, but you're in better shape against you're them. You're in better shape than them. There also been a couple instances, the WCC being one, unless I missed the result last night. There haven't been a ton of bid stealers yet. No, there haven't. We haven't uh, seen a, a lot of conferences that may have been able to support a regular season champion getting in as an at-large, having that champion lose, the MVC being, I think, the obvious example with Loyola. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been big, too. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, the, the Valley obviously has, has over years, you know, been able to put two and three teams in the tournament sometimes. They've, they've been up and down, but they're still kind of the – um, one of the gold standards still still kicking, I guess, for um, uh, uh, mid-majors that, that, I mean, they've been rated to a certain extent, but not as bad as some others that have kind of fallen off the map. Um, and I think Loyola was kind of a possible at-large, not a for sure, and, and, and maybe even Northern Iowa would have been able to make a case if it had gotten to the finals. Um, and so you end up with uh, Loyola gets the bid, and, and it seems like that's the only team from the Valley. Uh, you know, Murray State would have certainly uh, been selected from the Ohio Valley if, if they had lost in that 
tournament, even though the Ohio Valley is not a great conference, Murray State had clearly uh, made its case and were undefeated in the league coming in. Um, but they didn't they didn't get tested. Uh, I mean, they, I don't even know if they got pushed really in that tournament and they went. Um, so th- those were two big ones. And again, like as you mentioned, WCCC, it is Gonzaga St. Mary's tonight. Both of those teams are in uh, regardless of what happens. I mean, the, the you know West Coast Conference had a terrific year and it's going to get three in. Um, but I think the B- BYU lost like you know, makes it highly likely they won't get four, but you'll still see, um, you'll, you'll see them get Gonzaga obviously is, is probably an, uh, a number one seed uh, St. Mary's and San Francisco is probably gonna be there three. So, but that's probably the cutoff. Those, those teams are probably safe. So there's not, and there's not a lot of the else coming out of sort of true mid major. So you got a couple to watch though, that are on that below that power six that, you know, the other moneyed conferences I think are, are the big ones to watch. Um, SMU, I think is a team that Indiana is going to be one to be, to be uh, rooting against for sure. Um, you're hoping that, you know, it, it, I mean, Houston's an obvious one. Houston will be in the upper, uh, you know, upper reaches of the seating, a top four seed for sure. And I think they're number five in the NET right now. Um, and Memphis is probably going to get in on the strength of having beaten Houston. Did you just call it the NET? No, like who the calls net. it the NET? It's I don't know. The net. The net. Fine. Net. It's the NET. I thought you were mispronouncing NIT. I was like, why is Kelvin in the NIT? Kelvin's getting in. The, never mind. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're still punishing Kelvin by putting him in the NIT. Kelvin, um, you're lost. This isn't the right gym. <laughs> Anyway, so Memphis is probably getting in out of the AAC at this point. Uh, you know, they're still kind of nominally on the bubble, but they're probably safe after pounding Houston. So those teams are probably in. But if you, you obviously want to root for root against SMU uh, if you're Indiana, because, I mean, there's still a chance. They've got a couple good wins. Maybe if they make a run, maybe if they beat a Memphis. If there's a Memphis um, – uh, SMU semifinal, you're you're all over Memphis. Uh, in that case, if if you're Indiana, um, you're wanting them in. You'd like for both of them to lose, uh, preferably. Um, but if uh, you're you're more rooting against SMU to go down at this point than you are rooting for Mem- rooting against Memphis. Um, uh, Atlantic 10, uh, you want Davidson to win that thing. And, you know, VCU is another team that's sort of on the bubble. You'd like to see them go down early. Uh, Dayton is another team that might be able to play its way in. And so you're, again, you're rooting for Davidson there. You're hoping the Atlantic 10 only sends one. Um, you're hoping for some, maybe a little bit of chaos in the ACC as well, uh, where, you know, Wake, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, Miami are all kind of bubble teams. Uh, you want something bad to befall somebody in that. Not, not Notre Dame though. You, you not Notre, Notre Dame. Preferably not Notre Dame. You want Notre Dame preferably. staying up there because you need that quad. You need that to stay at quad one. That's true. Uh, you could really use that for Notre Dame. But so you're you're rooting for Notre Dame if you're if you if out of that group you would like to see them to be the only team in. Um, basically, you, you'd like to see Miami flame out, and you would like to see Wake Forest flame out if you could. Um, and so you know um, they they have a they have a chance of playing each other. So you know like you're kind of rooting for. Uh, whoever wins this ugly Boston College pit matchup to do something crazy, um, you know, if, if if that would be a, a good case scenario, um, and maybe hoping that that whoever loses uh, the Miami pit game is it, the Miami Wake Forest game, if that center ends up what, what ends up what happens, um, you're you're probably rooting against that too. But there's, I mean, you, you really look at the resumes. Obviously, Indiana benefits from having you know at least a couple big shiny quad one wins. Uh, a pretty decent quad one and quad two record, uh, but they are injured by the fact that they have a bad road record. Um, and, you know, their road wins are not pretty, uh, you know, it's Minnesota, it's Maryland, it's Nebraska. I mean, those don't do that much for you. Um, and, 
you know, just the simple fact you look at their, their, you know, their league, like what they've done in the league, as much as it helps to be part of the big 10 is as much as that um, helps you. Number one, they have a terrible non-conference schedule. I mean, they're like three fifteenth non-conference strength of schedule. Obviously we talked about why Mike Woodson, uh, you know, did not really challenge them, you know, as far as non-conference scheduling, you understand that is for, you know, wanting to build them so that they, they could win games. Uh, in the Big Ten, but you know now when you look about it, look at it as a full resume thing, it, it looks bad. Um, but the fact that you know a lot of their wins, you know, out of their nine Big Ten wins, um, seven of them come against Nebraska, Penn State, Minnesota, Maryland. Um, that's the bulk of their Big Ten wins, and so you know the, the fact that they don't have a lot of good looking ones in the in between uh, of the you know, the Purdue and Ohio State victories and everything in between that they haven't beat a lot of peer teams. Um, in that group. So that's why they could really use a Michigan win for sure. Um, and, you know, that, that is going to be something that's held against them. The, you know, again, the, the big Purdue and Ohio state wins look a lot better than a, a lot of the teams in other leagues, but, but what, um, you know, Rutgers still has the advantage, haven't beat them head to head, have, they've got more of those shiny victories. Michigan does too. Um, and so that's why it's going to be a hard situation for them to get in ahead of those teams that are also on the bubble. Uh, I guess I'll leave a bold prediction and a not. And if you want one, you can have one, uh, a less bold prediction. I think if Indiana wins Thursday, they'll get in. Um, I think the climate is just setting up for it to be a more forgiving bubble than normal. I also don't think Indiana's going to win on Thursday, not necessarily because of this team's, you know, intangible failings, but I just, I just think Michigan's an awful matchup for them. I think if they were playing any of the other teams, save maybe Iowa that were kind of in that, when it wasn't clear if they'd be the eight nine and who was the how seven eight nine ten was going to unfold and all that uh, a couple of weeks ago, if they were playing any of those other teams, Rutgers, Iowa, Michigan State, I think they'd have a chance. Um, I just don't. I don't see how they they bust up and uh, they bust up and turn around enough matchups to beat Michigan. Um, if you, you are welcome to a prediction, or we can very quickly discuss all Big Ten stuff. Um, those are two very exciting options i recognize yeah uh, I'll, I'll agree first i mean i mean i i'll just to make it a quick one i mean i, I agree um i mean i i would not bet on um i would not bet on indiana win this game on thursday i and i also don't think um i again again i just say that them winning on thursday and just winning on thursday and not beating illinois uh, a lot is going to have to break their way to get in. I mean, like literally, the, I, I think the only way that they beat Michigan and still get in is is it it, it almost it, it's going to almost have to seem destined. Uh, you know, like if, for for them to get in, you're going to have to sit there on on Saturday and Sunday and be like, wow, this is unbelievable how many breaks they got, um, and 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 then have a shot at it. You're going to be like, man, everything went right um, for for them to have a shot. If 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 anything goes wrong um, as far as what they're rooting for 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 you know with, with other programs and other the tournaments then they won't i mean i i feel like there's zero there's almost zero margin for a bad break um if they only beat michigan uh all big 10 team i mean i'll i'll get started i guess i mean i think uh you know, jackson davis obviously a second teamer but and, and i think it's a big um uh, uh feather in the cap for him to be all defense uh you know obviously you could argue as to whether he's their best defender or not um but the fact that obviously he was able to really add shot blocking, be allowed to go block shots this year, which he was adamant again, when we talked to him about it today, that, that he was allowed um, basically where, where Archie Miller all never wanted him get going off of his man to block shots. Um, 
you know, just uh, get, getting you know, shot blocks on help defense. Uh, I think he enjoyed that, do, enjoyed doing that this year. I think it, it adds something, I think, again, to his, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about his NBA resume as, as much as I think the expansion of the offensive game matters. Um, it, it certainly does. I think it's the biggest thing for him, but I think it's still a big deal uh, that uh, he added that piece that you showed that kind of athleticism that he can go make things happen on defense as a rim protector. And I think that that's, that was some pretty big news. I thought it was surprisingly um, not su- not surprisingly, but I, it it I don't know if I've ever seen an easier first team to pick. You know, I mean, I, and to the extent that I was surprised, more guys weren't unanimous. Like Kofi wasn't unanimous on the first team. Everybody's first team was Kofi Coburn, Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, Johnny Davis, EJ Liddell. Kofi, I think Jaden and Liddell maybe were not unanimous in the big 10 one of the big 10 polls kofi was not unanimous in the ap kofi i don't understand how he wasn't unanimous but um i mean i i don't like even as good as dickinson's been i just don't i can't look at anybody that got a second team mention you know Edie was there jackson davis was there dickinson ron harper i voted for peyton willis um trent frazier was in there I don't see how anybody can get a second team. Anybody on that second team beats out anybody on the first team. Like it was, it was as clear cut of a first team as I feel like I've seen in ages. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, like, I mean, you could, it's yeah. I mean, you're really reaching. I mean, I think Edie's really good, but I, mean, I think it's, it's a reach to put him in there. I think Jackson Davis, it's a reach. I mean, you, you know, obviously Jackson Davis had great numbers, um, but when your team finishes ninth, uh, it's really hard to put him in there against, you know, over, over a Kofi where you, you certainly saw Kofi win that matchup. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was, you know, very clear as well. And, and obviously speaks really well to the league that you had, you know, those kind of wings and Ivy and Murray, um, and, uh, and Davis, I mean, just, and, and those guys were terrific. I mean, I, I, there's a, another good chance. And I think this was the case last year that all five, you know, all big 10 first teamers were all Americans. I think that'll be the case again this year. Uh, I mean, any complaints about Wisconsin sweeping coach and player of the year? I, I can't, I mean. I can't, I mean, like <laughs> as much as they drive everyone in the big 10 crazy and you could go into, you know, their culpability for the uh, Michigan brawl and whatnot. Um, you know, I mean, like they obviously, you know, let's be serious. Coach of the year always goes to who overperforms expectations the most. Um, basically you can almost always draw a dart between, uh, a line between, okay, who was like, who made the biggest change, the biggest improvement in where they were picked in preseason media polls and where they finished. And that's almost always your coach of the year, regardless of what happens. But I mean, they obviously had some turmoil. They had some guys leave and, and they had, you know, that, that program got shook up a big, a good bit. Um, and for them to go from that uh, and, and really, you know, kind of underperforming last year um, to this uh, and, and on top of it, just Johnny Davis just being a revelation. Um, I, I think that uh, it was pretty clear. And, and Davis, I think, is making a, a – uh, big time push for national player of the year. I think he's going to be in that discussion. Um, I mean, again, it, it is really amazing that, you know, if, if things broke a certain way team wise, uh, you could make arguments, you, you could find yourself making arguments for, for a bunch of those dudes um, for, um, you know, it, like, 
uh, Ivy, not quite because I mean, I think you had so much spread out scoring there, but I mean, Ivy again, probably is the, the best NBA prospect and he was terrific. Um, you know, uh, and, and Murray, you know, was average, what, 23, 24 a game. It's just pretty impressive. But I mean, Davis was phenomenal, um, just all year. And you obviously saw the shots that he made, uh, to beat Indiana both times. Um, so, you know, it, it, you can't really shoot that guy down. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much more there is to argue about. The, the media doesn't vote for all defensive teams or all freshman teams, which is fine by me. Um, I think the, the defensive player of the year too often goes to the team, the guy with the best block, the most blocks or the most steals. But I think really, you know, yes, coaches, the best defenders aren't always reflected in, in traditional stats. But I think the only other one, I mean, I voted Bryce McGowan's freshman of the year. I would have been happy to vote Malachi Branham freshman of the year if Ohio State had like won a share of the Big Ten title and not lost three of its last four, including a couple ugly ones in there. I probably would have voted Malachi Branham freshman of the year. Maybe it's harsh to hold Ohio State's results against him. But if if you're going to argue that it's harsh to hold Ohio State's results against Branham, then it feels like it's harsh to hold Nebraska's results against McGowan's. I thought it was, I thought that was a coin flip, and I would have been fine going the other way. But that was the only one. That was the only piece of my ballot where I was like, where I really kind of thought, mm, I'm not sure if I feel good about this. Cause like once you get down to voting for like third team, it's sort of like I said this to Alex Bozich yesterday on his podcast. Like it's like arguing who should be the number 22 team in the country. Like, you know, at, at that point, it's really not that important anymore. But, but freshman of the year was a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd agree. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that was a really tough deal. McGowan's has terrific, you know, just terrific numbers and, and Branham had been terrific down, you know, for, for a lot of down the stretch. And I thought, I mean, I, I guess I lean Branham because I feel like maybe he sort of improved and, and, you know, McGowan's was sort of always the guy for, for Nebraska, uh, you know, him along with Verge where I think Branham really emerged. And so I think that probably ends up getting him some more votes as you see that he, you know, he picks it up towards the end of the year and all of a sudden, well, wow. Okay. This, this adds an element to Ohio state that, um, not necessarily didn't have, but where, where it got a lot better. Um, but I, I could have gone either. There. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't get a vote, so I didn't like really break down their numbers to say like what, you know, who, who really deserves it here. Um, and I tend to lean towards, you know, again, like you said, I mean, like you, you don't want to make team, uh, performance too much of a part of it because, you know, how much of that is under their control. Um, you know, again, when you're putting up great numbers and your team's just bad, you know, how, why is that your fault? Um, but yeah, I, I think it still matters when you can get it done within a team concept and it leads to wins. Um, so, you know, I probably would have leaned Branham, but I, you know, again, I could have gone either way. And I think that it, it was totally fair with, for the seasons that those guys put up. Let's shut it down there. Um, I don't think we need any more all-conference talk. Indiana plays Thursday morning at 11.30. I imagine we'll see some of you there. If they win, they'll play Friday morning again at 11.30. Uh, if they lose, then they will be waiting for the NIT selection show on Sunday night, I think about 8.30. He's Dustin DePirac. I'm Zach Osterman for the Bloomington Herald Times, the Indianapolis Star, and Indiana in general. Thank you all for listening. And the next time we talk to you, we will know where Indiana's postseason will take them. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.